to Acts 18. Uh, Aaron's going to preach out of Acts 18, and this morning we're going to read Acts 18, 5 through 11. And once you get there, if you're able to, will you stand and we're going to read the scriptures. When Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia, Paul occupied, was occupied with the word, testifying to the Jews that the Christ was Jesus. And when they opposed and reviled him, he shook his, out his garments and said to them, Your blood be on your own heads. I am innocent. From now on I will go to the Gentiles. And he left there and went to the house of a man named Titus Justus, a worshiper of God. His house was next door to the synagogue. Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed in the Lord together with his entire house. And many of the Corinthians, hearing Paul, believed and were baptized. And the Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, Do not be afraid, but go on speaking, and do not be silent, for I am with you. And no one will attack you to harm you, for I have many in this city who are my people. And he stayed there six, a year and six months, teaching the word of God among them. May this word of the Lord unite us as a church, and make us bold as missionaries. You may be seated. Good morning. I love coming here. I, I've been here a couple times and so thankful to be invited back. Um, it, I, I, I thought it was funny. Uh, Luke recorded a video or a Facebook Live, which he's so hip to do Facebook Live stuff. You know, that's the cool, the cool thing. And he recorded something to introduce that I was going to be here today. And to describe me, if you didn't see it on there, he used a word that I think is, I had to laugh. He called me interesting. You know, it's, it's, it's that kind of uh, thing where it's like, I got to say something nice about this guy, but I really only have one nice thing. He's just an, an, an interesting person. Um, and so I, I'm thankful for that. I, I do have to give that disclaimer everywhere I go. I got to remind all of you, we're family, right? We're a part of the same redemption family. Everybody has family members they're kind of embarrassed that are a part of their family and so I'm that guy but just remind yourself he's family I gotta love him okay um, so as we're going through this text today I just want you guys to know how thankful I am I love this church how much Luke and Molly their family this community has blessed our congregation and I just want to thank you guys for that remember a few things as we're kind of running at this text is that there's a launching pad for all of Acts, okay? And that's that first verses there in chapter one, verse eight, uh, seven and eight. I'll read it to you. Th picture this. Jesus is ascending. His disciples are watching him ascend, which is kind of a trippy story to think about, right? He's kind of floating up, if you will, and he's talking to them as he's ascending, and he's saying this to them. Listen, he said to them, it's not for you to know the times or the dates the Father has set by his own authority but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem in, in all of Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth this verse launches us into Acts 
It launches us into the book of Acts, and, and it boldly proclaims something. It boldly proclaims that the book of Acts is not about the apostles and their works. It's not about the early church and their works. The book of Acts is about the resurrected Jesus and his ministry through his people in the world. I was waiting for an amen right there, and you missed your spot. I'm going to give you the book of Acts is about the resurrected Jesus and his ministry in the world. There you go. I think there's a, appropriate places to say amen, right? Like, it, 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 when I say Jesus is alive, the church should say amen, right? Jesus is alive. And, and, and he is at work through his people, church. And what we should be encouraged as we're seeing this book of Acts unfold in front of us is that we should be reminded over and over and over again what these apostles were, were refuting in the synagogues, what they were declaring through their acts and through miracles and through deeds was that this Jesus, he's not dead. He's alive. He is alive and at work today. That changes the way you interact with scriptures. When you believe Jesus is alive, you're not studying a history book. This is not a historical Jesus in which we look back and just go, oh, this is a character in history. The church is the visible representation that God is alive and his people are to be that display of his kingdom. And what we see throughout all of the book of Acts is this drum being beaten that Jesus is alive and the way that we see that Jesus is alive is that all kinds of people, Jew, Greek, male, female, slave, masters, Rich, poor, young, old, all kinds of people, all nations, all tribes, all tongues. These all kinds of people are now coming together and being brought together because Jesus is alive. All those barriers are being broken and the people of God are coming together. Now, there are continually, as that happens, Constant battle against that. No, it's, this is ours. This isn't for all nations. This is ours. This isn't for all people. This is ours. It can't be for those people. They don't fit the box. They don't fit the rules. They don't fall into the categories. It can't be for those people. What we see throughout the book of Acts is that there's no greater display of a resurrected Jesus than when people who shouldn't be together are family. And unity is displayed as we come together in Christ. So I, I, I have a, a, a personal burden, if you will, but I, I believe God's placed it on me. I want to be in a place where people walk into a room, which is why I have planted myself in the neighborhood I have with the people that I have. I want to be in a place where we walk into a room and they walk in and they cannot tell you why those people are together. And the only answer that can be given is it's Jesus, right? 
not the color of their skin, not the music preference, not the economic bracket, not the gender, not the age. This is the old church, this is the black church, this is the Hispanic church, this is the young person's church, this is this church, this is that church. I, I wanna go to a place where all they can say is, Jesus brought these people together. Because that shows that Jesus is alive and at work. And his spirit is moving mightily. And you see this through the book of Acts. And they are marked by his spirit. Here's marks of the spirit. The gospel is proclaimed boldly. They declare his death, burial, resurrection, the life of Christ. They declare him boldly. And it's not just declaration. It's demonstration. The declaration of the gospel paired with the demonstration of the gospel. That they hear it and they see it. It's hard to argue with throughout the book of Acts. They're not just preaching good messages. People are being healed. Lives are being changed. Demonstration. The other thing that we see is that God moves not just through miracle signs and wonders and proclamation, God moves through persecution. Now, we don't like that one, but he moves in that way. His church expands, his church grows. Every place they go and preach the gospel, not only do they see miracles, they see great persecution. Now, as we see a book like this, um, we wrestle. We wrestle with hearing acts properly, I would say. And, and, and here's how I kind of interpret. We live in a different culture. We live in a different context. We live in a different time. And so as we approach texts and scriptures, we have things that kind of block our hearing. Let me just mention a couple of those things. And there's, there's probably a bunch more. One would be we live in a celebrity culture, and because we live in a celebrity culture, the church has become like a celebrity culture in and of itself in a lot of ways, right? We love our celebrities. We follow their lives. We look at their pictures. We care about their marriages. We care about everything. We have a generation of people who want to be celebrities. YouTube has made that possible. There's been so many with Facebook. I got to get enough likes. I got to get enough views. I got to, people got to know me, know me, know me, know me, know me. Ooh, watch me, watch me. Ooh, watch me, watch me. Ooh, 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 ooh. That's everything. And inside of that, the reason we have celebrities is because we want to live life through them but we also get the opportunity to disconnect that's good for them because they have money they have prestige they have power that's good for them but us common folk it's not our life when we go into the church we do the same thing we look at the guy up on the stage maybe he's on an elevated platform and not just because of that do we have that he's elevated up on a platform in our minds we're sitting there and going those guys must have such a close 
powerful, amazing relationship. They, they, they literally must just hover into every room they come into. Right? They come home. Their house is perfect. Their kids say, yes, daddy. <laughs> Everything's perfect. And when they face hard times, they must be so full of faith and confidence, constantly living in that place, right? They, they, they elevate it. And the reason we elevate someone up there is so we can give ourselves excuses for why we don't live these realities. That's for them, not for us. We're the, I need those notes, so <laughs> I'm good, but, but, but not that good. I, thank you. Give me five. You're close. Appreciate you. Um, you. I'm done with that one. You can have that. <laughs> I'll need that later, though, for the next sermon. <laughs> I forgot there's another one coming. Celebrity culture. We unintentionally do this. Often we find ourselves, because of a celebrity culture, we're in a consumeristic posture. We come into a place, we look for a church based upon what they can do for us. We're the consumer, right? Just like we go to a mall, just like we go to, we're the consumer, right? So I want what I want. I've got my kids. I need them to have what they want. This is what, so we find a place that's going to suit our needs, Many of us look us as church members, and then that one up there, he's kind of a celebrity. And what that's done for us is taken all of you all out of the equation of being called to be, listen, ambassadors of Christ. Now, my life is... God needs to bless me, take care of me, help me pay bills. If I face relational struggles, he needs to help me. And what we've fallen into is this kind of category. So when we read through Acts and we hear people doing these things and God sending us on mission and things taking place and us being ambassadors and doing his work, we can check out of these. Why? Because this is not us. This is not our lives. We're not the apostles. We're not the pastors. We're not the teachers. We're, we're, we're the, the consumers. And, and here's where we have to be careful as we're hearing a text like we read today. Sin is this radical curvature of ourselves towards ourselves. So sin is a constant thinking of myself, what's best for me, what I can do, how I can elevate myself, how I can lift myself up. Sin is this radical curvature towards myself. The gospel changes us and all of a sudden we're broken free from only thinking of ourselves and now we're turned towards God and others. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. You're set free from the bondage of just thinking of self and now you're called into something called dying to self. That's not fun. And living in the life and freedom of Worshiping God and serving others. Now, you're asking, are you ever going to preach the text this morning? Um, when I'm ready, I'll get there. That's why Luke invites me, you know, bring Aaron in, show him how good they have it, right? <laughs> show him. 
Here's what we see in, in the text that we read today. I mean, listen, we're reformed, Calvinistic kind of church. We're, that's our theology. If there's anybody who's our guy, it's Paul. Like, Paul's our guy. He wrote Romans. I mean, pff, he's our guy. You read Paul's life and his missionary journeys where we're at, we're like, Paul travels around. He's like an itinerant missionary everywhere he goes. He preaches. They throw him in prison. It's cool. He'll just sing and get out. No worries, Paul. Just worship, dude. No worries, right? He'll, he'll travel around. He'll, 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 he'll be converted God reveals himself to him. No worries. Paul preaching. People are getting saved, cast down. I mean, people just touch his, like, handkerchief. You're going to see these in the next verses. I'm skipping ahead. Sorry. I mean, they're like crazy stories. He's our guy. I mean, even when we heard him breaking up with Barnabas, right? We're like, it's obviously Barnabas' fault. You never hear about him in Scripture from here on out. Paul can do no wrong. Paul floats. But what we see here is the beautiful reality of why I even love being a part of redemption. I sit in rooms with, past, with the pastors of redemption, and as we're preaching through texts, we constantly wrestle with, even on this text we talked about this, how do we get people to see that we are we're not just elevated positions pastorally we're called to live amongst and serve alongside right this is not just we're up here and you're down here how do we fight against that celebrity culture and on this reality paul's on a missionary journey notice this doesn't sound like the celebrity life. Listen to Paul's life, even the beginning part of this. He goes into Corinth and if you remember the book of Corinth in 1st and 2nd Corinthians I mean, he's dealing with people who are doing crazy sexual acts, living completely immoral. He's confronting cultural, he's, he's writing a pretty harsh letter. Corinth's a hard place. The beginning verse of chapter 18 says he comes into the town and meets a guy and goes to work. He's got a full-time job. He's a tent maker. This is not a guy just sitting in an office. I'm not saying that's bad. I'm just saying he's not just sitting there kind of spending 24 hours a day in the presence of the Lord. He's working all day with his hands, building tents. You get to the end of a day, and then you go reason with hard-headed people in the synagogue. Like you can start to see this guy is not living this, this elevated lifestyle. He is amongst, he's working, he's providing, he's taking care of, and, and he's reasoning, he's living on mission. And in this place, everywhere he goes, he gets beat. Yeah, he sees miracles, but he gets beat. He gets thrown in prison. Yes, he sees people get saved. And everywhere he goes, they argue with him. So he's there in the synagogue trying to convince them that Christ is alive and they're and this is Paul's snapping point. 
I'm innocent. I'm done. Your blood's on your own hands. Basically, <laughs> y'all can go to, you know, right? I'm done. I've said everything I can do. I'm going to the Gentiles. I'm done dealing with church people who just want to argue about themselves and nobody else being included. I'm done. I just want to deal with people who want to hear the good news that they're included. Not people who think they own it and won't include anybody. I'm done. Throws up his hands, stomps out of the synagogue. You're like, well... They probably needed it. Paul would never do anything wrong, right? Stomps out of the synagogue, leaves, and the very next thing that you see take place is that he starts to go through this process of God going, no, I have a different plan for you. You see ways in which God speaks to Paul. Look at these things. First, I want you to just remember this. Dying to yourself is hard. Living for God and for others is difficult. And we can get frustrated. We can get overwhelmed. But God, who started his work, is faithful to complete his work. The God who said, I'm going to send you out to Paul, and your calling is to go and suffer. Even though he knew his calling was to go and suffer, like that's literally his calling. You're going to go and you're going to face persecution. Paul's like, all right, I'll do it. But even though he knew that was his calling, he gets into the middle of it and he gets frustrated and he gets overwhelmed and he throws up his hands. But God uses ordinary means and extraordinary means and painful means to accomplish his work. What do I mean by ordinary means? Look at these first verse. One shows that he uses his work. He He's around a co-worker who provided a job, that that place was a place of provision for him in a hard place. He used the hospitality of a neighbor. Stomps out of the synagogue and right next door is this guy's house to the synagogue. And what does he do? He opens up his home and goes, look, I know you had a rough day arguing. Come, in, come into my house. Stay here. The hospitality of a fellow worshiper of God. Those are ordinary means in which God brings us comfort when we want to throw our hands up. But not just ordinary means, he uses extraordinary means. Look at verse 8. Verse 8 shows us that the guys that he wrote off and said, your blood's on your hands. I'm done. I'm going to the Gentiles. What happens? Uh, God goes, no, I'm going to save them. And he saves the leaders, the ruler of the synagogues, believe in the Lord together and his entire house. And many, in Cor many of the Corinthians hearing Paul believed and were baptized. He wrote them off and then he goes, I'm going to save them. 
right in front of his eyes, Paul is watching that no, God's not done with them. He still has a work for them. And then he reveals himself, this vision. He shows himself to Paul. Look at this. And the way he shows himself is this. And the Lord said to Paul, in one of vision, do not be afraid, but go on speaking and do not be silent, for I am with you and no one will attack you or harm you, for I have many in this city who are my people. Look at this. He shows himself and reveals who he is. You, you gotta, if you don't get anything today, I hope you get this. When God wants to encourage his people, he doesn't show them who they are. He shows them who he is. Right? Sometimes when we are facing struggles, the worst thing we can hear is somebody come up to us and go, you can do it. You're strong enough. You're smart enough. You'll figure this out. You deserve it. You got this. As great as that sounds, it's not the gospel. It's not how God reveals. You never see God coming to his people and going, you got this. Just try harder. The way God reveals himself throughout scripture is saying, I am the Lord your God. I've done a, amazing works and I am with you. Right? So I have five kids and I feel like what's happened as my oldest is now 15 and my youngest is five, um, I feel what's happened is as they've, I've had more kids, they've become more and more drama, right? All, all the way down. Like they, they have like a real calm kid up front and I'm like, man, I could have more of these. And then as they've gone down, there's become more increasing drama and more like, I don't mean drama in like bad things happening. I mean drama in like over the top. Like my youngest literally thinks she's recording uh, YouTube videos. I'll walk into a room and she's like in there like, hi guys, it's me. I'm like, you're not recording and you don't even have a YouTube channel, right? What are you doing? And she's standing there on the side of the pool on this vacation and she wants to jump into the pool and she's crying, right? And I'm like, every kid's done this. And one thing you learn as a parent is you could sit there and tell them over and over again. She FaceTimed me on, she went to get shot for school. She FaceTimed me and she's bawling. They have to go get a nurse to like pin her down. And she's bawling. And in that, everything in me wants to, come on, just buck up and do it. That never works. She's scared. She's overwhelmed. Her hands are, in the middle of those moments as I'm sitting in the pool, as I'm on FaceTime, the only thing I can say is, I'm your dad. I got you. I'm not going to let you drown. I've got you. And if she could be assured, not of herself, but if she could put her confidence in, in, in me, then she would begin to be overcome those fears. 
overcome those fears of the pain or the water or those things. I'm here with you. This is how God encourages us as we're throwing our hands up. I'm done. I'm out of here. I'm not living this life of love. I'm not living for others. It hurts too bad. This struggle. And God says, I'm with you. Don't be afraid. Trust in me. I'm with you. And it is that that encourages Paul to shuffle back into the same synagogue. He said, I'm done. Next week he's, hey guys, I'm back. And not just one other time, he stays there a year and a half. Because it not only does it change his view of God and his strength, but it changes his view of others. And he sees others differently now. Now he sees that God still has a work for these people and he's not done with them and that he needs to continue to stay there. See, what God does when we get a view of him, we get a new view of other people, the people that are difficult, the people that we think cannot receive the people that are hard-hearted, the people that we've given up on loving, the ones that we feel like we should throw in the towel on. It changes everything. So much so that the next town that Paul goes into that we didn't read that section, but you can look at the next town he goes into and you can see that there, they ask him to stay longer. And instead of him saying no or yes, look at what he says in verse 21. But on taking leave of them, he said, I will return if the Lord wills. (laughs) He, He didn't make a definitive. Like, if God wants me to come back, I'm coming back. I said I was leaving last time and he made me stay. I'm I'm just, I'm submitting to God's will. I'm going to hopefully bring this to a place where uh, I can encourage you today with something. One is if we're not living a life of love where we have turned our focus from ourselves to other, this text will have a hard time hitting us. I remember the moment that my, my oldest was born, a young man who only thought about himself. And I, and I know I, I wanted my own career, my own life, my own day. And then all of a sudden this little person comes into the world. He hasn't done nothing for me and everything changes. I want everything for him. I found freedom in starting to realize that there's actually life in not always thinking of myself, in dying to self, in loving God and loving others. But in the midst of that, there has been so many times where sin and my own heart and my own life and circumstances and work and job and life and all of these things, working full time, trying to pastor people, going to their house, calling me up saying, pastor, come over, my marriage is falling apart. I go to try to help them and talk to them, point to the gospel and leave. And then they call me back like, well, you didn't help us. You're a failure, right? You ruined our marriage, actually. No, you, what are you talking? I'm done. I'm done. I'm just trying to help. I got other things to do. I got a job, a career, a family. I don't got time for you. The overwhelming nature of, of living life for others can 
can become overwhelming, but it's, it's actually a part of the process of us dying to self and living for God, living for God and others. And inside of that, there are so many times where me and you, those of us who are wanting to live as ambassadors of Christ, a part of his kingdom, where we are constantly being overwhelmed and we want to throw our hands up and say, forget it. I, I did that, actually, Years back, I was done. I wrote a little post on a pastor's thing. I said, you know what, guys, I, I can't do this. This was years back before I was a part of redemption. I don't know what I'm doing. I feel overwhelmed. Everything seems to be falling apart. How do I know I should stay in this? And God used ordinary people and the crazy part is a big reason why I'm a part of redemption and have been adopted in is through that. Some people called me, Luke, Justin, Tyler, different ones, called me, said, let's eat together. When other people just posted something online, let's eat together and encouraged me and prayed with me. God used ordinary people to encourage me. And then he also spoke to me, Aaron, I'm strong. I'm powerful, I've called you, and I'm not done with you yet, and I'm not done with the people. God has not just started something. He is committed to finishing it, and he is not just one who says, go do my work, and stays up there in heaven, and just kind of watches us fail, and is not a part of, he's, he's with you. Go into all the world and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And I'll be with you. Always. Always. Even to the ends of the age. The way you're going to experience the very presence of God is in those moments where you're trying to do His work, live the life He's called you into, and you want to throw in the towel. Church, He's going to use... Ordinary means, extraordinary means. And he's going to continue to do his work through his people. Some of you in this room, I believe, need to hear this today. Don't give up. Put your faith in God. See that he's strong and powerful that he still has a work for you to do. And he's with you. You're not alone. Father, I thank you for the power that you've given to us by your spirit that you've called us. You came into this world lived a perfect and sinless life. You lived in perfect submission to your Father. You lived for Him. You lived for us. You, you, lived, you lived the life we should have lived. You died the death we, sh- we should have died. You did that work for us and you gave us your Spirit. You've placed in us your very presence. You've broken us free from sin and death. The life of just living for ourselves, that we get to live gospel-centered lives, outward-focused, 
that we get to be a part of a community where we are being encouraged and by hospitality and people bringing us in and just praying for us. We get to hear your voice as you speak to us over and over again. But God, all of that is proving once again that if you've called us, if you've done the work, if you've sent us, you're also going to be faithful to be with us, to sustain us, to complete that work. You are alive. And you are present with us. Let my brothers and sisters, those who are ready to throw in the towel, would you use your people, would you use your word, whatever means necessary to encourage them this morning. In Jesus' name.